You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome into this week's edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Schusterman, alongside the two esteemed experts and colleagues here at Emily Pipeline, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Jim and Jonathan, thank you for joining me. Jonathan, haven't talked to you in a few weeks. How are you doing? Um, you know, I'm concussed. That's all I got to say. Oh, oh you okay. Well, yeah. I, hope you're, I hope you're okay I'm, for the podcast. I'm bad. I got cleared to re-enter the game for, for the podcast. Um, I, but I, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's, it's no joke. For those of you who always think, oh, okay, it's just a concussion. No, not so much. But hey. No. Life goes on. Let's do Life this. Life goes on. The, the podcast goes on. We have prospects and draft to talk about. Jim, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm not concussed, which I'm, I'm happy to say. So I'm probably feeling a little bit better than Jonathan. But uh, it's hard to believe only – I know we'll, we're going to talk prospects first. Only 39 days until the draft at this point, which wow. seems shocking to me. Oh, man. It's, 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 it's just around the corner. It's just around the corner. But before we get to draft chat, we are going to do a little bit of draft – a discussion at the at the back half of this podcast is you guys will have an updated top 100 uh, coming in the next week or so. Uh, but we have to begin with the the obvious news, the prospect news we've all been waiting for for uh, probably well over a year now. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will in fact be making his major league debut for the Blue Jays this Friday, uh, and uh, this is it's it's finally happening. We've <laughs> how long have we been talking about Vladimir Jr. and waiting for him to be on a big league field? Um, but now he's exiting our prospect realm. And I guess we have to, we have to say goodbye to Vlad Jr. as a prospect. And uh, Jim, I'll start with you. How excited are you to see this finally happen at the big league level? I'm very excited. Yeah, and just so you know, Jordan, he still counts as a prospect till he gets to 131 That's at-bats. True. That's true. Or 46 days, so he's still going to be number one on our prospect list for, for probably another, you know, five or six weeks or so. But uh, no, as you said, I mean, it, it's very exciting. I, I can't ever remember a, a bat that's received as much hype as this bat has, you know, as a prospect. Um, in all my years of covering prospects, I mean, he's the most hyped hitter I, I can remember, I mean, even more so than, say, a Bryce Harper. And I mean, Bo Jackson was more for his all-around ability. And he should have been up, you know, last summer. You know, can't change that now. But, you know, very excited to see what he's going to do in Toronto going forward. Yeah, and, and Jonathan, how high are your expectations for him this year? Uh, he seemed like a lock to be American League Rookie of the Year going in. He's got plenty of time to, to come back and win that. Uh, are you expecting him to just be immediately their best hitter, one of the best hitters in the league? Uh, you know what the amazing thing is? He's 20 years old, and we're talking about like we've been waiting on him for like a decade. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of insane. It, it, listen, it is hard not to get too excited uh, about what he is going to do. The, the guy just hits, and he's going to hit. Um, will he win Rookie of the Year? I I don't know, but. Sure. I mean, I think he automatically becomes the favorite because they didn't call him up to sit him. He's going to play every day. And wherever he's gone, he's put up numbers. I think as long as he stays healthy, he's going to be at the front of that conversation. Uh, you know, and given that the rest of the American League rookie class has not exactly tried to, you know, create some distance, um, 
you know, there's no rabbit in, in track and field parlance, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I think that, that he has every chance to, to win it. And I think he is going to put up, you know, the numbers that we have expected him to put up. I don't, I don't know that he's going to show up in the Billies and hit 360 right out of the gate. Like he seems to do every place else. But if he hit over 300 with ridiculous on base numbers and power, sure. I'd buy that. I'm going to throw in a, a, a little bit of a dissent here. As much as I love Vlad, what? <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not saying he's not going to have a great year, but like, don't sleep on Eloy Jimenez, who I, I keep feeling gets overshadowed by Vlad more than he should. Got off to a slow start, but he's been hitting a lot better recently. Eloy's probably going to wind up hitting 280 with with 25 home runs and and with the launching pad he plays in. So, I mean, there's going to be a, a high bar for Vlad to clear. I, so I, I, w- I would say they're co-favorites in my mind. I, I know Eloy hasn't you know run away and, and gotten off to a Pete Alonso-like start that would give him a huge lead, but I, I don't think it's just Vlad and and there, there will be no challenges. I think Eloy's going to give him a good run for that award. Uh, yeah, I, I, I will say that it, it will be close, but again, like who ends up winning it, you know, who cares? It, we, I think we're just happy that they're in the big leagues and 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 very excited for Toronto, too, who is in kind of a weird spot, spot as an organization to, to have Vlad finally, finally there. All right, well, obviously we could talk about Vlad forever, but I want to talk about another guy who re, uh, debuted before Vlad uh, in your your city, Jonathan. So we're going to start with you. Cole Tucker coming up, kind of having a, a fairy tale debut, uh, the shortstop prospect for the Pittsburgh Pirates. He he gets in the game, and there's there's big thunderstorm coming, and he steps out right before because there's a big lightning strike, and he steps back in, hits his first big league homer in his first ever game. Uh, I don't know how long we're gonna gonna see Cole Tucker staying in the big league level. I know the Pirates have some injuries, um, but he's a guy who's really come on on the offensive side of the ball lately. Uh, what can Pirates fans expect from Tucker? Uh, really in, in, in the short term, as the Pirates are already contending, I think, more than we maybe would have expected. Yeah, although this recent uh, series against the Arizona Diamondbacks has kind of brought them back down to earth. But yes, um, yes. Well, if you listen closely during his debut, you could hear the theme music from the natural play. <laughs> uh, when he hit um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm a huge Cole Tucker guy, and it's one of those cases where I freely admit that the personality and the makeup and the character uh, make me completely biased. Now, that said, he's a good player. He's a, he's a very good player. I think he's going to be an everyday shortstop in the big leagues. We'll see what happens, uh, you know, with how he's performing. Part of me sort of thought that, okay, they're bringing him up and he's playing every day. He could play well enough where – uh, makes Kevin Newman's return somewhat obsolete and Newman can go back to being the sort of backup utility guy he was before he got hurt rather than getting a chance to start. Eric Gonzalez is, is out for an extended period of time. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he is capable of doing everything well. The power is just starting to come, as we saw in that one homer, but that was started to show up last year a little bit. This spring it showed up some more. He runs well. He's a, a leader almost automatically, and he's going to be a fan favorite. He already is a fan favorite. So um, even if he goes back down to AAA, uh, I don't think he'll be down for, for much longer. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair assessment. I think I agree. He is he's so likable uh, on and off the field. Um, but right, if you look at his numbers uh, offensively, they've never totally jumped off the page. Um, Jim, has something changed with him as a hitter over the last year that has that has made him more of an impact hitter, or is is he just maybe uh, off to a hot start this year? 
Well, I don't think things really change. I mean, I mean, last, I mean, what you said is exactly right. I mean, I, I like Cole Tucker. You know, everybody sees the tools to hit, and he's he's had one year we had an ops over 700 in the minors, and four years of full season ball. So it's it's been a little bit of a mystery trying to figure him out. He looked better in the fall league. That's admittedly a small sample size, and the field the the playing field's really tilted in favor of the hitters there. You know, off to a great start in Indianapolis. Um, I, I don't know if he's he's changed anything. He's always been really young for his age. Maybe he he's just kind of you know, the things are slowing down for him a little bit, but I don't think there's been any great change. I mean, I wouldn't base that on, you know, eight, what, 18 games, I think so far this mm-hmm. year, he, he's off to a good start, but you know, it, it's, he's always one of those guys. I've had a hard time getting handled. Like exactly how good is he? Because you can see the tools. You love the makeup. It's an up the middle position. And the guy hit 259 with five homers last year, um, you know, and didn't really draw a ton of walks either. So um, I think he's becoming the player the Pirates thought he could become when they made him a first-round pick. And he's been pushed pretty aggressively. Um, you know, he's never had a bad year, but he's just never really had a good year. And it, kind of similar, I guess, maybe to Cabrian Hayes. Oh, I think Cabrian Hayes has put up a little bit louder numbers as he's advanced. But, uh, you know, th- those guys should be the left side of the infield uh, for a while, you know, starting some point in the very near future. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And he, he has been fascinating. But but your your bias there, Jonathan, is totally justified. I think he's become a fan favorite across the league already in just his uh, his short time uh, in Pittsburgh. So hopefully he stays up with the Pirates. But we'll see how Cole Tucker advances this season. Want to want to go to, to some pitchers. Uh, we got a little bit more prospect news today as we heard that uh, last year's number one overall pick, Casey Mines, promoted to double A uh, in the Tigers organization. And Jim, you suggested a, a possible little debate here. As if you look at the top of, of our top 100 right now, uh, the top two right-handed pitching prospects are Forrest Whitley uh, and Casey Mize with, with the lefties, uh, Jesus Lazardo and Mackenzie Gore uh, sandwiched in the middle there. But Mize has been off to a great start already. Uh, he's promoted to double A. Whitley struggling uh, in triple A uh, for the Astros. Has this become a conversation about who you'd rather prefer? And Jim, I will start with you. Who would you rather have, Casey Mize or Forrest Whitley? Has this first month made you reconsider that ranking? I'm not going to overreact to three starts by Forrest Whitley and and four by Casey Mize and and, and say that oh the performance is is dictating my decision. Mm-hmm. But you know we're, we're we're talking about two guys who who both have you know a 70 pitch on the 20 to 80 scale in Whitley's fastball and Mize's splitter and then a whole you know everything else they throw is pretty much 60s Whitley's changeup might even be a little bit better than that and one guy has I think demonstrably better control and command I think if you made me pick one of these guys right now you know there's I think maybe a little bit more health question about Casey Mize because he got shut down a couple times as a sophomore in college and Whitley hasn't had any arm injuries I think if, if I was taking a guy right now looking at this, I'm not basing it just on four starts or the fact that my interview with Casey Myers was probably the highlight of my, I think it was like 13 or 14 days running around spring training. I think I would take Casey Myers over Forrest Whitley if you gave me the choice of one of those for the long term. Jonathan, is is Jim crazy? Wow. Is he crazy? What, what? Well, I mean, yeah, but that has nothing to do with whether he likes Casey Myers or Forrest Whitley. Yes, Please. Yes. Um, uh, that, that surprises me a little bit. I mean, you know, he gave all these qualifiers and these caveats and he couched it and then Mm. he still picked the other guy. Um, 
That's uh, that was it's a little surprising. I, I like it. I like it. I you know, I think there is more certainty with Casey Mize, which is ridiculous to say, given uh, his professional career is only slightly longer than <laughs> yes. this podcast has been. Um, but uh, you know. I think that his floor is so high that you could bank on Casey Mize being a, 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 a good big league starter, even if, say, the low end is as a, like a back end starter. Um, Forrest Whitley has a higher ceiling, but maybe there's a much lower floor. Um, I still think I'd stick with Forrest Whitley. With the understanding that even though he's been in the pro game longer, it's not a huge track record, right? Because of the suspension, because of minor oblique injuries, it's not like he's amassed hundreds of innings that we can say, well, look, I mean, it's clear um, what he can do. Uh, but if he can be the guy that we saw in the Arizona Fall League, then I would take him every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Right, and I think I think that's that's totally a fair fair concern. And if you're going just off of performance this year, of course, Mize has been in the pitcher-friendly uh, Florida State League, Whitley in the uh, complete launching pad that is the PCL, so you can maybe adjust for that too. And I will also point out that while Mize was a college guy, Whitley High Schooler, Mize only fo- uh, really four or five months older than Whitley. So if you're just going straight age, uh, it's, not, it's not like he's that much older than Whitley. Uh, now, Jim, there's another pitching prospect that I know you you adore, that, that you've, you've, you've You've given his so much praise over the years, uh, Mackenzie Gore. Does he does he factor into this? Would you still have him over either of them? Has has Gore jumped ahead? He's had a nice start to the year as well. Uh, or or and and Lazardo, the other one there, he's he's been injured, so we're gonna put him aside for now. Um, but where does Gore fit in? Yeah, you know, it's tough. And I'll actually dispute something Jonathan just said a little bit. I don't know if Force Whitley's ceiling is that much higher than Casey Mize's because Casey Mize's stuff, you know, I'll give Whitley a little bit better changeup, you know, or a little bit better second pitch with a 65. But, like, Mize has clearly better control and command. So I think their ceilings are very similar. Like, you might give Whitley, like, a slight edge in stuff, but I think Mize's edge in command and control is better. You know, you bring McKenzie in here. It's It's, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Well, because I mean, these guys all have the potential for four or more plus pitches. Um, so they all have really good stuff. I think Gore's stuff is not quite at the level of the other two guys now. Um, he's also, you know, a year, you know, year plus younger than them. He is left-handed. Um, you know, I think if I was lining these guys up right now, you're asking me my top three pitching prospects in the minor leagues. I would go Mize one, Gore two, Whitley three. I, I, I would, oh, I would, I, I would list wow. them in order. I would list them in order of control and command. What I think it's mm. going to be in the end, because I think in the end their stuff is going to be pretty comparable. And and Gore's left-handed. Now, the, all that said, I'd love to have Forrest Whitley, but it, but if you were letting me pick those guys and and we're assuming that health is equal on those guys as far as we know, I, I go Mize one, Gore two, Whitley three. I'm shaking it up. My goodness. My goodness. Okay, Jonathan, I'll give you the last word on this discussion before we move on. I know you're not the, the gore guy, but he's, he, well, uh, what, do you, what do you think? Is Again. Well, I love I love, I love, love gore. I, I would happily have the number <laughs> yes. three pick in that draft, by the way, if I end up with Forrest Whitley. In some ways, in some ways it's best to have the number three pick. 
because uh, I do agree. I mean, I think all three of these guys have the chance, and I, I you know, there's nothing that says that they won't be, uh, you know, frontline starters, um, you know, positively or negatively this year. There's not enough to say, oh, Forrest Whitley's really struggling, or uh, or Mackenzie Gore has been lights out, or, or even Casey Mize for that matter. I think it's for the guys who have gotten off to good starts. You know, Mize didn't really pitch last year. He's just getting started as a guy who was thought to move quickly. Getting to double A this quickly is a good sign. And Gore, you know, had all these issues with blisters that kept him off the mound. It's not like anyone was like, well, maybe he's just not as good as we thought. But I think getting him to amass some innings and some sort of positive speed moving up uh, up their organizational ladder will, will – is a good thing as well. So, uh, you know, health for, for them is important. And I fully expect Forrest Whitley to, you know, to figure it out and start, you know, pitching the way he, he has when he's been on the mound. I think that, I think that's fair. And, but again, these are all good, good problems to have. We, when you're talking about guys of this caliber, they're all hopefully going to be very good. So uh, picking between them is just kind of a fun discussion for podcasts like these. All right, let's move on uh, away from those already in pro ball and to the draft. Uh, as you mentioned, Jim, draft is only, what was it, 38 days, 30, 39 days? 39, I think 39. 39 days, 39 days before uh, the Orioles will be on the clock. Uh, now, you guys have been working on updating your top 100 draft rankings, and, and hopefully they'll be out uh, in the next week or so. So we wanted to just just check in on some draft guys. Who in the, in the, in the big picture, uh, and you guys can each name a few names, uh, have, have risen the most since you released your, your, your initial uh, top 100 draft rankings? Uh, Jonathan, we'll start with you. Uh, who's one guy that stood out, stood out as, as just flying up the board uh, in the, yeah, the I mean, that we'll see soon? I think the first guy is Hunter Bishop, and Jordan, you should you should enjoy this because his older brother is Braden Bishop of the ah, Seattle Mariners. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hunter Bishop is an interesting guy. He's at Arizona State. Um, wasn't really you know all that highly regarded. He was a decent high school prospect. Went on to ASU. First two years was the same guy he was in high school in terms of glimpses of really impressive tools, but really, really inconsistent. Uh, and, you know, his numbers weren't even that good. And he went to the Cape, and his Cape numbers, you may look at his Cape numbers and think, huh, well, not that impressive. But he figured something out in the Cape, brought it back with him to fall ball. And scouts that I talked to says, from fall ball through now, he has been the same guy. And that's been – the thing for him is that the same setup, the same stance, the same rhythm at the plate and the same performance. And he has hit for average. The power has shown up as a result. There's going to be some swing and miss, but everything else is really, really good. Uh, you know, you could put above average to plus tools across the board. This is a guy who never played center field before this year. And now scouts think he can stick in center field, um, but also has the power profile to be fine in a, in a corner. If you know you play in an organization and you have a better defensive center fielder, by all means, move him. But uh, he was a guy who missed our top fifty. Um, you know, didn't really even enter the conversation to seriously be put in. Was a guy that I was like, all right, if he performs as a college player with tools, he's going to move up, and he is moving way up. And you know, this is a guy who went from sort of, well, I don't know what to make of him, to a guy who is now a. Uh, to me, like a surefire top half of the first round pick. 
Yeah, that's that's about as, as high as you can jump uh, in a in a draft spring. Uh, Jim, if you had to name one hitter that has that has jumped jumped all the way up uh, on your draft board, who who would you say that is? It's tough because most of my guys are pitchers. You know, Gunnar Henderson will be probably the highest unranked hitter from our half, my half of the country. Jonathan, and I split the country in half. And I think he may have played his way into the first round, but he was a guy who didn't miss our preseason top 50 by much. Um, <laughs> I don't have a lot of hitters in my half of the country. So maybe, maybe I'll just go with, with Gunnar Henderson then, to be honest. Um, you know, and he's a guy who people liked, I think coming into the year, you know, he, he's a shortstop Alabama high school. There was some question, uh, you know, is he going to stay at shortstop? And, I think that's still a little bit of a question because he's six foot three, but he's gotten a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, a little bit stronger. The bat speed's a little bit quicker. He was already a good player, and I just think he's kicked it up a notch. You know, not leaps and bounds to where you'd say, oh, he came out of nowhere, you know, kind of like Bishop did. But, you know, he's just kind of improved a little bit in all facets of the game, and, and it seems like he's getting a lot of buzz right now. Scouts are – he's from – Morgan Academy in Selma, Alabama. A lot of scouts are making the trip to go down there and see him. And I do sense that if the draft were today, he's he's probably going in the back half of the first round. I like I said, I I don't think he made nearly the leap that Bishop did, but he he would be the highest ranked player from my half of the country, highest ranked hitter who wasn't uh, in the discussion. Although I said that, and I'm I was overlooking my list. I, how did I forget Cody Hosey, Jordan? I, like how I I yeah, I, I was come misreading on. my. The, the I, green you know wave. I was misreading my own list. Well, I think it was because Jordan and I spent a lot of time talking about Cody Hosey. I think it was just last week. But Cody Hosey would be the more obvious guy. I was I was misreading my own list, and I'm not even concussed, so that's terrible. But um, a <laughs> uh, little concussion humor, Jonathan. I hope you take it in the right way. But uh, but no, Cody Hosey is making a run for the NCAA home run lead. He was a, a draft-eligible sophomore last year, 35th round by the Royals. And, you know, he, he can play third. You know, he, he gets the job done over there. He's six foot four. He's a good approach at the plate. He would be the guy who's made the, made the biggest leap out of relative nowhere. I think he's also in the first round. So I, I should pay. I should read better, I guess, is the moral of the story here. Cody Hosey would be my guy who's made the biggest leap as a hitter. Yeah, and Hosey, uh, I believe, still at least leading or tied uh, for the national lead in home runs uh, for Tulane. Uh, for you, Jonathan, who's who's the pitcher that's jumped up jumped up the most? Uh, we've talked a lot over the last few weeks about how thin uh, the pitching generally is, especially on the college side uh, in this draft. But is there one pitcher who's kind of made a name for themselves on these rankings over the next uh, that, that we're going to see soon? Yeah, uh, and it, it is interesting. Yeah, the college pitching ranks is decidedly thin, and that that has only helped Alec Manoa from West Virginia move up boards because when you're Comparing him to others in his group, uh, he, he certainly stands out and he, he's always been impressive. He's impressive physically. He's six foot six, 260 pounds. He's just a monster, but he's always been very inconsistent. Ended up relieving more than starting his first two years at West Virginia. Then something clicked in the, in the Cape. Uh, he was starting, he led the Cape Cod League in strikeouts, he pitched in the championship game through well even though uh, even though he got the loss and he has been the same guy all spring and he's been 94 to 97 with his fastball consistently throughout starts throws it with good sync so he's missing bats with the fastball his sliders become more consistent flashes plus now um 
he has a very good change of bat. Actually, in the championship game in the Cape Cod League, there were a lot of left-handed hitters, and he his changeup was probably his best secondary pitch. He hasn't used it as much this spring, but he he has it. And the biggest thing has been his command. You know, he's a big guy, but he's been repeating his delivery. Uh, the walk rate is way down. He's been throwing quality strikes. Um, so he has gone from, uh, I don't know what to make of this guy, uh, to, uh, to now being <clears throat> probably the, the second best college pitcher uh, in the draft class behind uh, Nick Lodolo at Texas Christian. And as luck would have it, a week from Friday – the two of them will go head to head. Yes, yes, that that is. Uh, I believe that that game is happening in Morgantown, uh, but I imagine yep. that will be a a busy day behind the plate for for the scouts. I hope they have enough seats for <laughs> because how often do you have the the two best college pitchers facing each other? I guess it's happened in the SEC, uh, but this is uh, this that should be a very good matchup. Uh, Jim, for you, is there is there a pitcher that stood out as has made a big leap? Maybe not all the way to the top of the pitching rankings, but uh, towards that top fifty. Well, close. Well, I mean, I think he's not too far behind Alec Manoa. And if, if you count junior college pitchers, he might be, the, as college pitchers, he, he might be the third college pitcher draft. And that would be Jackson Russ, Rutledge at San Jacinto in Texas. You know, he was a guy who was on our top 200 uh, a couple of years ago, coming out of high school. You know, he could have been a top, you know, three to five round guy, but he was committed to Arkansas. Didn't pitch a lot for the Razorbacks last season, was left off the postseason roster. I think he even announced in the middle of their postseason, after he got left off the roster, I think it was for the SEC tournament, that he was transferring to San Jacinto. So their season wasn't even over, and he announced on Twitter that he was gone. Um, and <laughs> That's, that's uh, quite the junior college move. I, I like that. <laughs> well, I mean, in his, in his defense, I mean, if you aren't going to pitch, you yeah, can get no, buried true. at these four-year schools, you know, and you can't transfer to another four-year school. So I, I probably would have been angry if I was a top recruit and, you know, I, I got left off the postseason roster too. But he – you know, it, it's as good a stuff as there is in this draft. It, it, it's 94-99 with the fastball, and he carries the velocity into late innings with riding life at the top of the strike zone and sink when he works at the bottom. He's got a upper 80s slider that can be just a wipeout pitch. He's got a low 80s curveball that can be a plus pitch with 12-6 to 6 break. Um, he's even got a little bit of feel for his changeup, although he needs to, you know, separate it from his fastball velocity-wise more. And, you know, he didn't throw a lot of strikes last year, and, he, and he's been pretty solid in that regard uh, this year. Um, so I, I think Jackson Rutledge is going somewhere in the middle of the first round. And, and I, you know, I, you, you'll learn, Jordan, that when you ask me a question for one name, I often have three. I, I'm just going to throw I – won't, I won't give you the full rundown. But two other pitchers who've jumped into the, you know, first round consideration after not really, you know, being on radars – uh, or at least that kind of radar coming in here. Seth Johnson at Campbell is probably going to be the, the the fifth or sixth college pitcher taken. And, I mean, this was a guy who was a shortstop at Lewisburg Junior College in North Carolina a year ago, did a little bit of pitching. Um, and, and I had one scouting director say that he thought he had the best delivery in the entire draft. This is a guy in his first full year of, of pitching. You know, he worked six innings last year at Lewisburg. It's just effortless arm action. Uh, he, he's touched 98, usually sits 91-95. You know, the slider's got some promise. He's, he's got, you know, some aptitude for a changeup. You know, the, the strikes are there. But he's so athletic and looks so good that he's just scratching the surface of his potential. And then a third guy who could go in the first round, although it might be a little bit more difficult because he's a high school pitcher, would be Josh Wolf out of Houston. And he's a guy who people knew who he was. He was on the showcase circuit. He was a pretty polished guy, but he was just this projectable polished guy. 
And then he came out in his first start of the year. He had a scrimmage against Magnolia West, and, and they have a, a right-hander named Connor Phillips, who's a pretty good prospect. And Josh Wolf put up a 97 on the radar guns. Everybody's like, whoa, where did this come from? And he, his fastball went from 90 last summer, and it's been 90 to 97 all spring. And really good curveball and control. And, and you know, if teams can get against – go – you know, kind of counter that bias they have sometimes against high school right-handers. There's a third guy in my half of the country who could be a first-round pick who who people weren't really talking about that way at all, you know, uh, you know, a year ago. Yeah, and, uh, and I mean, well, we'll see. The, the, the college, there's still enough time and important postseason games for these college uh, teams where, where it could be another arm that jumps into that mix. Uh, but right now it's finally starting to get some clarity on these guys. Uh, but that's good. We're, we're going to stay positive. I know there's going to be some names that have that have fallen uh, on your on your rankings. Maybe we'll get to those next week. Uh, but I'm very much looking forward uh, to seeing the new top 100. I'm sure everybody is uh, as well. All right, that's going to do it uh, for our episode this week. Thank you guys for listening. For Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo, I am your host Jordan Schusterman, and we will talk to you guys soon. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.